All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Everybody, welcome to Dropping the Gloves. Tim's here. I'm here. Hockeyfights.com is here. Check them out if you get a chance. Fun website to go and just waste three hours of your life. But are you really wasting it, Tim? No. Time well spent. I don't think so. It's a beautiful website. We are the official sponsor of that website, so we really believe in them. I grew up watching them. Check it out. Anyways, Tim, it happened. You know, it, how... We watched a game together. I, I was so excited to watch this game. I had to go watch it with you just to see the, your youthful enthusiasm, just see the twinkle in your eye. It was, it was beautiful to see. How happy are you the day after one of, if not the biggest collapse in NHL hockey history? And I truly mean that. The biggest collapse ever in NHL history. It's it's kind of hard to believe because like going into last night, I'm kind of thinking there's no way this actually happened. Like they let it get to seven games. They have some introspection to do, but they're going to put it away. Right. The best players are going to be the best players. They're going to put this game away and move on, play Winnipeg next week. But it happens. And I'm still kind of in disbelief. But I have to say overall, just pure unfettered joy. That's what I feel right now about this Leafs team losing. And the funny thing is, everyone's like, well, you know, Montreal, this and that. They, uh, Montreal was a better team. For the last three games of this series, Montreal was the more aggressive team. They carried the play. They were the team that wanted to win more. And I know that's a cliche, all they wanted to win. It seemed to me that one team was playing scared. There, there was a lot of turnovers, a lot of indecisive plays, not a lot of confident puck movement, and the other team was playing on their toes. They were confident. They were getting after the puck, and you can honestly see the difference. And what I mean by playing on their toes is they're, they're ready to go. They're jumping forward. They're, they're getting after it. And if you're playing on your heels, you're waiting for the game to come to you. And that is honestly a thing. If, if you are nervous, if you're scared to make a mistake – you don't go out there and play aggressive. And that is not a good way to play, especially if you're a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs, who you pride yourself in carrying the play. You want to dominate puck possession. You have skilled forwards, and the way to get skilled forwards in the game is to have puck possession. And just watching that game, it seemed to me that Toronto, they were nervous to have the puck on their stick. They really were. And it, it, was, it made it more apparent how nervous they were because we were, we were switching back between Boston Islanders and Toronto Montreal. We watched Toronto Montreal predominantly, but you know, intermission, we'd go to Boston, New York. I mean, watch that. And you would watch your real first line. You would watch Bergeron, Pasternak and Marchand and how fluidly they move the puck, how they would just effortlessly go high to low cycle the puck, like just toy with the opposition. And that's a true first line. And then you would switch back to Toronto and it would just, it was sloppy. It wasn't crisp. The players weren't confident with their passes. Yes, they would have glimpses. They would have a rush here and there. They would have shifts where they would maybe play well. They would get in the zone and make make some you know, difference, but it wasn't a consistent. Like Every time that first line in Boston is on the ice, they're getting grade A chances left and right. They are carrying the play. They're getting the Islanders on their heels, and they are dominating the ice, as they should be, because they are a really, really good hockey line. And they should carry the play. 
when Matthews, Marner, and Hyman are on the ice, they, there are shifts at a time when they are hemmed up in their zone, where they're missing passes, where they're just dumping the puck in, where they're just turning the puck over, where they just seem uninterested or just nervous and scared. And I tell you what, that's a hard that, that's a hard pill to swallow when you're when you're a, a Leaf fan, which I'm not, or just a coach because you can't do anything to change that. Once you get that fear factor in your head, once you get that nerve nervousness that you're like, man, like we're going to lose. Once that thought creeps into your head, you're done. You're absolutely done. Unless you have someone on that team who's been there before, someone who can snap you out of it, smack you in the face, say, hey, let's go. And the Leafs didn't have that. I thought they had the guys who could do that, but they didn't. And I tweeted it out. I said, you watch. Whoever scores the first goal in the sixth game is going to win this series. Sure enough, Montreal scored first. I know it was it was kind of a half heart. I truly meant it because momentum is such a huge thing for the Leafs, and they needed to get that momentum to get that feel good back, to get their confidence back. To say, hey, here we go. You know, we're back. We're going to win this series. And as soon as they got scored on first in Game Six, they were done. Absolutely done. You could just tell that they weren't the same team. They couldn't come back from that. And I don't know. You know, you hear all the noise from the media, from everybody just giving their two cents of what the Leafs should do, what what happened, why they collapsed. When you look at the stats, there's really only a few people you can blame. Jack Campbell played. He played good. Other than the first goal in Game 7, when Gallagher just fluttered one between his legs, which should have been saved, he played okay. You know, he, he didn't play outstanding. He didn't steal him a game. He, he had a couple soft goals. Really, you know what? Maybe you should have saved that. But you, I don't see Dan Riddick or Freddie Anderson doing remarkably better. I think if you just look at the numbers, Campbell played pretty well, don't you think? He did, yeah. And the numbers, I mean, you're talking about Price outplaying him, which he probably did, especially in the, the last three games of the series. But overall for the series, technically, Campbell had a better uh, series. His numbers were better. 1.81 goals against, 934 save percentage. Compared to Carey Price with a 2.24 and 932. Now, obviously, Price was making the bigger saves. He had, uh, you know, he, he played better when, it, when the game was on the line and when it really mattered. But Campbell was not the problem. And I don't think people are really pointing the finger at him either. No, and, and there's no reason to. He, he played well. I guess he didn't play well enough to win. When you give up that first soft goal, that just. It, it deflates your whole team. You're excited. It's game seven. You're at home. You finally have some fans in the stands. You're geared up. And then to give up that soft goal, I've been in that situation on the bench where you just lose all confidence in your goaltender and you lose all confidence in yourself. And you're like, oh my gosh. And you start thinking about what if we do lose this game? And when you're on the bench and you're thinking about that, you're not ready to go. And I guarantee you, all of those guys were thinking that as soon as that first goal went and they go, Oh no, 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 no. Like they need to score first. And that is not a very confident team when you need to score first to feel good. It's just, it said, says a lot about the top guys on that team that they can't pull, pull the rest of the guys up and say, listen, we're fine. We're going to go and we're going to get this. Maybe they didn't have enough adversity during the season. Maybe they don't have that mojo in the locker room or on the bench. I don't know. It's not something you can just develop. It's something you either got it or you don't. And a lot of these young kids these days, they don't have it because they've never faced adversity. They, they've never been told no. They've always been told, yes, you're the best. Everything comes easy to you. What are you smiling for? I knew the millennial speech was coming. It was only a matter of time. Prove me wrong. Tell me, tell me why Toronto's not good then. I, you know, I, I don't have the answer to that, but I, so, Okay. They haven't made it out of the first round with this group, and I guess it's been about four or five years now. The first couple of years, you're kind of like, well, this is a young group. They're learning how to play in the playoffs and learning what it takes. They'll get there. You kind of give them the excuse. And then there's also, you know, Boston just has their number. They just keep playing Boston in the first round. They can't get past them. Happens all the time, and you can have that excuse. You can also blame certain players. You can blame Freddie Anderson. You can blame Jay Gardner, who's been the whipping boy many times. But you added – you can't – the young thing, especially, right? You, you added veterans. You added experience. You added the guys who had been here before, who had won the cup or gone on these deep cup runs. Jumbo has been on many, many cup runs. Nick Felino has won underdog series. Think what he did. Remember when he swept 
he captained the team that swept the lightning a couple of years ago in, in yeah, uh, Columbus. Columbus. Yep. Simmons, right? Like those guys, Jason Spezza, Zach Bogosian, yes, they, they should be the ones leading the charge. I, I would love to be a fly in the room, in the room. Like what, what are they saying? Are they p- trying to get the boys going or are the young kids not even listening to them or does it not even matter? Is it, was it not enough? Where, where they well, slow? The thing. It's not their team. They can go in and say stuff, but they're not going to go in and step on John Tavares's or Austin Matthews or Marner's or Nylander's. This is their team. And you can go in and hold their, their hand and do whatever you can to, you know, jack them up. But if you're not willing to take any advice or anything, what good is it? And, and I'm sure those guys did speak up. It's like, you know what, boys, you know, we're fine. You know, we, we, we're a good team. We're first place for a reason, this and that. We got home ice. Don't worry about it. Come out and fly, and it's going to be fun. But th- that only goes so far. Jumbo can't go out there and play 25 minutes. You need to lead by example. That's how it works. I, I-, I would talk until I was blue in the face when I was with the Sabres. We'd still go out there and get pumped. I'm not playing 25 minutes. I can't go out there and show them. Like a- I'll go out there and get my seven and do as best I can. But it, it- you need to lead by example. And if you're Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, when I saw those guys on the ice, the, just their body language, the way they were playing, they looked defeated before the game even started. They were, it was very apparent to me during the first period that they were not, they were not playing to win. They were playing to like just survive and we need to get past this game and then we'll be fine. Like we just got to get out of this game. It's like they're not playing to win. And then when you're playing like that, you're 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 not going to win that many games. And goodness me. Did that Montreal first line lock down Toronto's first line pretty good? Yes, like I said, they had some good shifts, but gosh, they they shut them right down. Gallagher and um, Deneau, they played so good. Yeah, they weren't on the score sheet that much, but they completely shut down those two guys. What was it, the, the stat they had one shot over the first two periods or something like that? Between Matthews and Marner, yeah. And you saw Matthews give respect to Deneau in the, in the handshake line at the end. He had a few words for him and yeah, I mean, Danilo, they it shut him down and like, okay, Matthews and Marner, they still had 63 combined shots in this series. But over seven games across two different players, it comes out to about four and a half shots per player per game, which is pretty good to hold him to because you know Carey Price is going to make those saves, and he did. So, yeah, Danilo's line did a great job shutting him down, and Gallagher had a couple of big goals, just like in game seven, that uh, just instrumental in their win over the, the Maple Leafs. Well, here now, if if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, this – and I don't say this lightly when I say this is probably the biggest upset, if not just complete meltdown of a hockey team in hockey history. Toronto came into this season with such high expectations. All the cards aligned. Every, all their ducks are in a row. They're playing in the north. They don't really have much of a competition other than Winnipeg and Edmonton, we thought. They, they cruised through the regular season. They, didn't, they had a, a blip on their radar when they had a little mini skid where they lost a few in a row, but nothing major. They go out and they absolutely just crush everybody at the trade deadline. They get the best forward available. They get so many pieces that they needed. They were coming into the final or the the Stanley cup finals. Everything was shipping, shaping up like this was their year. What do you do now for the Toronto Maple Leafs, your star players who you rely on completely laid, laid an egg. The only guy who outplayed his contract was Willie, Willie Nylander. He played well. I'll give him that. He scored goals. He showed up. He was dynamic when he had the puck. He was dangerous out there. Every other player that you have on the offensive end was just invisible. Now, what what do you make? The, do you think this team missed John Tavares that bad? Or do you think these guys just don't produce in the playoffs? We talked about it last night. They're, they're not killers. You need that killer instinct to, to succeed in the playoffs, especially against the guys that are going to work harder than you, like Montreal did last night. So I, I see a lot of conversation online about, well, you know, um, Eiserman didn't win his first cup till he was 32. Neither did Ovechkin, right? Like there's a process. They have to, they have to you know, just wait till their turn and eventually it's going to fall their way. So I get that. You don't want to be like reactive or, or given to the pressure of the media and all that stuff, but they're not even showing signs. They're not getting past the first round against a team that barely made it into the playoffs. It's just, I just don't see a way that this group has what it takes. Because they, they, they finished, get out of the first, 
they finished 17 points higher than Montreal. This wasn't yeah. a close series. This should have been a four or five game series. Yeah. It should not even been close. When you have a team up, when you're up three to one on a team, you have to finish them in that fifth game. You have to. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Once Gallagher, or sorry, Galchenyuk turns that puck over in game five, it's like, whoa, okay. That changed the whole series. He should, it, it was, it's so funny how you can look back and maybe pinpoint one play. It's very hard to do. It's like, but that one play, it changes everything. It changes everything. It gives Montreal an iota of hope. They're going home. They have fans. Maybe if we win this game, we can get to game seven. I've been down three, nothing before in a series when I was in Chicago, all you want to do is win that first game. Once you win that first game, it's like, well, gosh, if we win this one, who, who knows? We won that second one. It's like three, two. Well, gosh, if we win this one, game seven is going to be fun. We won game three. All of a sudden, we're in a game seven after we've been down three, nothing. You'd never want to give the other team a little bit of hope. Galchenyuk turns it over at the blue line. They go down and score. Next thing you know, Montreal gets that little seed planted in their head that says, maybe, maybe we could do this. And that's all a player or a team needs. It's just a, it's a little bit of hope. That's all. And then it also plants in Toronto. It says, gosh, we better close this out because I don't want to go to a game seven. And man, oh man, is it a game of just a head game at that point? Because Toronto's a better team. I don't think we can argue that. Toronto, even without Tavares, even without Muzzin, they should beat Montreal handily nine times out of ten. But you put them in a high-pressure situation, and they just can't do it. And that speaks volumes. And you mentioned how... All these guys, well, Eiserman didn't win until he was 31, and Ovechkin didn't win, and Stamkos didn't win. You think Toronto is going to have Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and Willie Nylander in five years? All of them? No. I don't think so. Austin Matthews is 23. How many years did you say he has left on his contract? Four? Three more. After, yeah, three more. Three more years. He's going to be 26. You think he's going to resign in Toronto if he loses the next couple of years? Not a chance. He's gone. There's no way. Mitch Marner. He's going to be 28, 27. He's going to be a free agent, a UFA. There's no way he's going to come back. Willie Nylander, maybe. You have a very, very small window if you're Toronto. And when I hear all these people saying, we got to get rid of Marner, we got to get rid of Marner. When have you ever, ever seen a team trade a star player in their prime that it worked out for them? Ever. Name one. That didn't get a star player back in return. I can't. You, it, yeah, it, you can't. It, never, it, do, it doesn't exist. Anytime but, you create a player of that caliber, it never works. Yeah, but the team could be better off for it in the long run. In the long run, yeah, or they're going to rebuild again. When are you going to get a team with this much talent ever again if you're Toronto? Well, Mitch obviously, I, a proven, he's a proven NHL all-star. The guy's an yeah. absolute stud. Yes, he's struggling. I get it. You cannot find another Mitch Marner out there. He is a dynamic NHL hockey player. You're not going to find a Mitch Marner anywhere. He doesn't show up in the playoffs. It's not about talent. We've seen that. Like, this is this is the third year in a row he's done this. And not only that, taking stupid penalties. This is the fourth time. He has six minor penalties in six playoff games, or six playoff appearances. And he has four, um, shoot, what is it? delay a game, puck over the glass. That's a, that's a guy who's playing scared. And you talk like the talent is there. He's put up like 90 plus points every single season now. But why not, why not trade your, your stallion for a couple of ponies, right? Go get a defenseman, go get some depth, create some cap space. So go sign other players. You're just not going to, what is Matthew Meyer going to do for you that he's not already, already done? Everything they've tried has not worked. Yeah, I agree with you, Tim. He hasn't scored in the playoffs in 18 straight games, right? Like that's, that's incredible. But. He is Mitch Marner. He is an absolute stud of a hockey player. Like he, he, I don't know. I, I don't think you can give up on them. I, I really don't. I think if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs and you're Kyle Dubas, the only move you can make is, is get rid of Riley. You got to readjust the bottom six, you know, exchange some guys. I think that's what you can do. I, I think your top six, you need to ride with them. Those are the guys who you drafted. Those are the guys who you developed. Those are the guys who you signed. You have to go to battle with them. Win, lose, or draw. Those are your guys. They've proven they're good players. Matthews is one of the top five players in the NHL. Marner's right behind him. John Tavares is a steady-as-she-go type of player. Willie Nylander proved he's a good player. He's a world-class talent. 
those are the guys you have to go to battle with. You're not going to find talent as good as them. I, I don't know. I, I think you would be doing yourself a disservice and it would be a big mistake to trade Mitch, Mitch Marner. What, if you're the GM now, what, what would you do Tim? honestly? Yeah, I don't know. I'd be pretty nervous to pull the trigger on a move like this because if you do and you're wrong, that's your job, right? But at the same time, like, what's the definition of insanity? Like, did, did Dubas did everything right here. He brought in veterans. He brought in depth. He brought in the defense that they needed. He caught fire. I mean, Jack Campbell was an absolute steal of a trade. And and Kerfoot thrown in. I mean, it's like it, if – I don't know. I really don't have, a, like, a clever answer for that. I think – if they do trade Marner, there's nothing like you said that'll give them the return that they want or that'll satisfy Toronto Maple Leafs fans. What do you do? Yeah, you, you go to battle with them again. And I know people have been comparing them to the, the San Jose Sharks. And, you know, their first place in the regular season, they're, they're just absolutely killing it during the regular season. They get to the playoffs and they just flame out. Sharks did that for a decade where they were just so incredibly good and they just could not get over that hump. I think you have to keep marching them out. Like you, you can't interchange your first line, your second line. It just doesn't happen. And, and you're not going to trade Marner and get someone back uh, like of equal or even better. There's an, there's no chance unless you find a team like an Edmonton Oilers or a Calgary flames where you can just say, you know what, Johnny Gaudreau will give you Marner. Will you take Gaudreau, you give us a draft pick. Maybe. That works. They're the very similar type player, just a new a new spot for a couple of faces. I don't know, but I'm rolling it back. I'm getting rid of you know a couple of the older guys. I'm not bringing Felino back. I'm getting rid of Thornton. Spez. I'm bringing back Spez. I'm getting rid of Simmons, and I'm just retooling my third and fourth line. And this is my big move. I'm trading Morgan Riley, and I'm getting a forward to complement those guys. I'm getting a top six forward to add to that group of top top six. So I can have my first line with Marner, Matthews, and Hyman. Then I can go Willie Nylander, John Tavares, and and sign another really skilled winger. That's what I'm doing. I'm doubling down. I'm going and get another huge offensive talent so I can have two star lines, and I can just round out the bottom six with role players, penalty killers, four checkers, guys who can get on the rush and make a difference. Toronto needs a guy. You know who stood out to me was um, Anderson. He didn't do much on the score sheet. He wasn't that effective, you know throughout the series, but gosh, is he a big body and he gets up and down the ice and he's plays a heavy game on the defense and he makes a difference. Even though he's not on the score sheet, you can't say that to about a lot of Leafs players who make a difference. If they are not on the score sheet with the Leafs, you got to be on the score sheet or you're not making a difference. Honestly, that's the way I see it. Yeah, but they have an, an already elite top six though. Like they don't, you really think adding another top six forward, what the, is going to help them much? Yeah, I think you got to go all in. You're already there. You are already a run and gun team. Either that or go out. Riley is not an effective player on the power play. He is almost a hindrance to them on the power play. Really slows them up. He doesn't seem to see the open pass. He doesn't make the open pass when it's there. He just he, he seems to be locked into a shoot first mentality when there are better plays to be made. And if you're rolling out your number one D man who's making five point five and he's on your number one power play unit, you need him him to be dynamic. You need him to control the play, distribute the puck, get it to the players that score. Morgan Riley is not a goal scorer. Get it to Matthews in his wheelhouse. Get it to Varis down by the slot. Get it to Marner on the half wall so we can make something happen. He is not doing that. So either you trade him or you find a replacement for him and it's send in. He's his replacement. He's good on the power play. He can get up and down the ice. He had a couple, you know, hiccups this season and this series. You know, he made a couple goofball plays, but he's a good player. I, I think you slot him into Riley's role. Their defense will still be strong. They'll re-sign Bogosian. They got Brody. They got Dermott. They got Hall. Like their defense is serviceable. And you just double down. You go, you go, you've already shown your cards. You're a run and gun team. You're an offensive juggernaut. You got Keith, who loves playing the offensive style. Go for it. Go out and get another really offensive forward. There's going to be guys in the market who are there. It's going to be a very deep free agent class. There are going to be some good forwards available. Go and grab one. That's that's what I think they should do. But what happens when you run into a team that's good at shutting down those types of players? Like, is that, is that really the recipe for winning a cup? Is just a running gun team? Like, look at the Oilers. They have that too. No, it's not. You can't retool this team. 
You, you can't all of a sudden turn yourself into a, a Boston Bruin team where you're very responsible defensively. You can't, you can't just make up a team, like change your whole identity. You think Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and Willie Nylander are all of a sudden going to turn themselves into lockdown D-man like Patrice Bergeron, like really be responsible and come back hard through the middle and play that type of game? They're not a chance. They are, they are who we are. Dennis Green, famous football quote. They are who we think we are. Like they're the Leafs. They're run and gun. They have all these, like you like to say, stallions. You got to compliment them with players who can bring out the best type of game that they like to play. They like to go and put the puck in the net, free wheel, have fun. Let the hair flow, baby. Let's grow a mustache and score some goals. That's what they like to do. So why not give them a piece that helps them? That's, that's, I think you're, you've already made your bed. You already made your bed. Let's just add some pillows to it and make it more comfortable. Let's see what happens. I don't know. For those people to say to blow it up, you can't blow it up. You can't blow it up. What do you who do you trade trade Marner and get a a gritty centerman to come in? A gritty a gritty winger to get up and down the play? How is that going to help Austin Matthews? How? Okay. So it's not. Yes or no, do the Maple Leafs win a playoff series in the next three years? Next year they will. And just one? That's not the question. You just asked, okay. will they win does a series? This, does this core win a cup? Yep, I think they do. Really? And how do they get over the hump? I just think they, they just figure it out. You just trial by fire. You got to go. You know, a, a bounce here or there, and they win this series. Galchenyuk doesn't turn it over. They win the series. A post, a post here or there, they win the series. The next thing you know, they have some confidence. They won a series, and away we go. They they've been close. They've they've they have lost five consecutive um, elimination games where they could have won. They get the chances. They just have to figure out how to win. And I don't know. I I don't have an answer. If if someone had an answer to this, they would be the GM of Toronto. It's just it is what it is. They Kyle Dubas has a, assembled this team. He did a great job. This guy should win GM of the year. <laughs> like for all the moves that he made, he filled every single hole. You mentioned it last night. You said. It's like he's on NHL 2001, like EA Sports. Like he literally went out and got every weakness that they had and plugged a player in who was the best player for that spot. It was masterful and it didn't work out, but what are you going to do? You, you, you can't overreact. That's, that's the thing. All these fans are like, oh, we got to, you know, blow it up. Yeah, that's right. That's good. It's not going to help. It's not going to help you to get rid of Mitch Marner or trade one of the big three or four like teams would die to have these guys in their team. That's what you tank for. You tank to get these players and you have them. And yeah, it hasn't worked out the last three, four years. You would be crazy to try something different. Like you need skill to win in the NHL. There hasn't been a cup winner ever. I don't think that hasn't had any skill on their first and second line. Like you need that. So I don't know. That's my, I, I trade Riley. He's got one year left. You get some value for him. Most importantly, you get out from under his cap. You play Sandin in his spot. Sandin. Huh? Sandin. I knew you were going to say it. Sandin. Like get an easier name and you get a it's guy to compliment the top it's six. A very easy name. Sandin. It's stupid. But anyways, that's, that's my take. And yes, they haven't won a playoff series since 04. Yes. They had a lot of UFAs. Yes, this is five years. Matthews and Marner haven't won anything. All that being said, they really did lose to the best goaltender in the world. Like, I think people forget about this. They're, they're burying the Leafs. They're really ripping them to shreds. Carey Price painted a masterpiece this series. He really did. The final three games, he was, he was incredible. What? What, Tim? What? Oh, were you just yawning? No. Oh, okay. I couldn't see your face. It looked like you were giving me a look. Going back yeah. to Carey Price, I, I thought he was incredible. He he made so many incredibly difficult saves look routine. Like he would go post to post and make a save that was cross ice. When the Leafs had a power play with five or six minutes left last night, he came post to post, and I think he robbed Nylander. And I, I turned to you. I was like, that was an incredible save, and he made it look so simple. And I was like, man, is that good? Like, that's a world-class save, and it's just effortless for him. And he did that throughout the series. He had two or three saves that 
like Don Cherry, Rock'em Sock'em, Save of the Year, diving across with his paddle, just getting a stick on it somehow. It, it was incredible. He had every Leafs number. And another thing that kind of jumped, I don't even want to jump in. Let me just get this point out, Tim. The Toronto Maple Leafs did a good job of limiting chances to the Toronto Maple Leafs snipers. If they were going to give up a chance, they made sure it was Zach Hyman getting the chance. So if they're going to leave a guy on a three-on-two, Zach Hyman's getting the shot in the slot. If it was a two-on-one, you're letting Zach Hyman get that shot. If they're going to leave someone open on the power play, guess who's getting the chance? Old Zachy Hyman. That it was very smart, and Keith did not adjust. How many times during that game where I was like, "Why is Nylander not on the top line yet?" Yep. You have 15 minutes left in the game. You have 20 minutes left in the game. What What are you saving it for? Put Nylander on the top line. Go for it. And you saw Edmonton do it. They had some success. They put McDavid with Dreisaitl. Like just throw all your eggs in the basket. Like why? Obviously, Hyman isn't scoring. Yes, he's a very effective forward. The Leafs need him in the regular season. They need him in the playoffs. If it's game seven, there's 15 minutes left, and you need a couple goals, put them them together. I don't know. I don't know. Anything else to add? There's so much more to add. There, I mean, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll be spending a lot of time talking about them this summer when the season's over. But your your main and biggest and probably only move, besides not re-signing some guys, is trading Riley. That's That's your move you make? That's my move. I'm getting rid of Riley. I'm bringing back Bogosian. I'm bringing back Spezza. And I'm retooling the bottom six. And I'm getting a top six forward. That's what I'm doing. I'm giving some guys some chances who can come up and, and play. I know they have a couple of young Russians that might be ready to you know, jump in and make, make the jump. I don't think you blow the team up. I, th- I think you have a good team. Like You were really good. But you're not there yet, obviously. Do you, who's your goalie next season? That's the question. Who is your Who's you rolling out with your number one next year? It's got to be Campbell, right? You still yeah. got him on the contract for one more year. Freddie's a UFA. He's he made five million this year. He's not going to come close to that now. And Riddick is also a UFA. I might bring him back as a backup, but I think Anderson's gone. I agree. I think he's you know served his time. I think they've lost faith in him and. He's got to go. You bring back Riddick. I think you're right. Bring back Campbell. Bring back Riddick. They're they're good goalies. They can uh you know stop pucks. That's all you really want. And how good was for me another point that stood out was how good was the Canadians' young kids? Suzuki, Caulfield, Kakiemi played really well. They they really did just make a difference. And those are draft picks. Montreal in their system making a big difference. You didn't really see that with Toronto. They had their stud guys that they drafted, the Matthews, the Marners, the Nylanders, but not a lot of guys who they picked up in the third, fourth, fifth round making a difference. And it was, uh, I don't know, good, good, you know, scouting system by Montreal, good players. And mind you, I know those guys are all first rounders probably, but Montreal, the young kids played well. I was very impressed. Marc-Andre Bergeron saves his job. He's not going to get fired now. He looked like a creep with his jacket and his hair slicked back, though. After I was like, who is this guy? Like, it's not a good look for a GM. Do you give Montreal any chance against Winnipeg? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think so. I think they, they're playing really well. Corey Perry's playing good. They have a good lineup. I, I think they're a good team, but I think Winnipeg will win this series. I really do. They've been rested. They're just licking their chops. How happy is the Winnipeg Jets? They don't have to play Toronto. Connor Hellebuck's going to play every single game. They, I think the Jets take it in five or six, but it'll be Imagine a good series. If Montreal wins, it's Montreal against Colorado. Oh, Sweet. Imagine Montreal, Boston, Four and games. Stanley Cup final. Oh, that'd be great. I wish it was Toronto, Boston. Well, I wish it was Toronto, Edmonton in the second round, but neither of those teams <laughs> are even in the second round. Everyone's dreams were shattered when both those teams now are done. The fantasy of seeing those two guys play are just, it's out, it's out the window. Gary Bettman has to be just like, come on, like what else can happen? <laughs> we lost all these good players. Ovechkin's gone. McDavid, Matthews. What else can I do? All right. Anything else on this series, Tim? I'm sure we'll talk about it again, but I don't want to beat a dead horse. I'm sure everybody's already heard this 15 times already because it's just a national. So much for a holiday. Everyone in Toronto is just probably super depressed right now. No, I got nothing else. Let's take a look around the league. All right. So some interesting news, non-playoff teams right now. Seth Jones has just came out and said he's going to play out the last year of his contract and not resign in Columbus. Sort of uncharted territories hockey players don't usually do this they keep their cards close to their vest they don't really go to the media and make a a statement like this what are your thoughts 
what do you think Columbus should do? And it's Seth Jones, that good of a player. Cause I did a little reading and a lot of the people were saying that Seth Jones, his numbers are a little deceiving and he isn't the player that we think he is. Well, I don't know. What do you think right now with Seth Jones? I did the same and I found the same. I probably read the same article, but that surprised me because he's the black player that when I watch him, all I think about is how good he is. The way, yeah. the, the way he skates, he's got the size, the way he controls the game. He looks like he's, you know, a Norris-type defenseman. And this is a small sample size. I don't watch the, the uh, Blue Jackets regularly. But this did take me by surprise, and I saw that the Columbus was kind of blindsided by this announcement. I think most likely they're going to trade him before the draft uh, for, you know, the rights to sign and sign him, and he'll probably be overpaid. But I think he's a good player, and I think in the right situation, you'll probably see him reach that, that next level again. Yeah, I agree. It's funny. They were in the same position, and Panarin and Bobrovsky didn't come out and say they're not going to resign, but I, I think everybody knew they were going to come back to Columbus. It was, it was widely known throughout the league. They held Pat. They said, you know what? We're going to ride this out. We're going to make a run at the playoffs. I think Columbus has finally realized, like, listen, we can't keep doing this. We need to get some assets back for these guys because you let one of the, if not the best playmaker in the NHL walk, and you got absolutely nothing back in return. You let your starting goaltender, who had been an absolute brick wall for years, walk, and you got nothing for him when you could have got a lot of return for him. And I, I don't think you can get egg on your face three times in a row by letting a really, really good young player go without getting anything back. So they got to trade him. They'll they'll trade him. Columbus will be a bad team next year. They really will be. Like they made some really bad moves. Line A is just shaking his head. He's like, goodness gracious, what am I going to do? Like he won't resign in Columbus, even if they throw a boatload of cash at him. But they they're they had their they had their chance. They they were a good team for a long time when they had Hartnell and Felino and those guys. And uh, Nash was there. Oh my gosh, he was so good. Nash, he was so good. Rick Nash. But anyways, okay. Another pseudo story that got kind of buried because of all the Toronto Montreal talk was Ryan Reeves' suspension. So we didn't talk about it. I I, I didn't really want to get into the Reeves thing because. I don't know. I, I felt bad for the guy. I didn't want to create trouble. I, what did you think of his suspension first? Did you agree with it? What, what, what are your thoughts, Tim? Yeah. So I, I watched it, the video, and I was kind of like, well, what exactly happened here? I couldn't really see what he did that had gotten people so mad. And I watched it a bunch of times before I kind of saw that he was, he had his knee down on the guy's throat. And that's, you didn't see it at first. You're kind of looking at him. He kind of cross-checked Grubauer in the back of the head and then he yanked, um, Ryan Graves kind of down by the, by the neck and, and he grabbed his head, which they're comparing to the Tom Wilson thing, but it's not nearly as bad. Tom Wilson yanked him way harder. Panarin wasn't wearing a helmet. It's a different situation. Um, but yeah, Reeves being a repeat offender like he is, I think he got away with not being suspended or, or at least fined after cross-checking Ryan Suter from behind in game seven. So I'm okay with the suspension. Um, I don't know that he makes that big of an impact in the, in the, in this game anyway. I don't think they're losing much. Um, yeah, I'm fine with it. What do you think? Um, I disagree. I, I think the 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 bar has been set, right, for what deserves a suspension with the Tom Wilson incident. And everybody knew this was going to happen. We're going to compare everything to that melee. And it, it doesn't even come close to what Wilson did. I was texting with Reeves after the fact. I was like, oh, yeah, sorry, man, like tough break. And he goes, I know. Like, And he even said it. He's like, Wilson compared to me, I, I did absolutely nothing. Like he's like, it's a joke. So, you know, we exchanged some more text messages. I won't get into, but w- when you have a situation like that with Tom Wilson, where it's an obvious suspension and he doesn't get anything, you, you have to, that's the bar. They both have the same history with suspensions. Wilson has a lot more under his belt than Ryan does. And I don't know. It, it, it kind of leaves me a little, with a little icky taste on my mouth. I don't think he should have got any games. He should have got a $5,000 fine and that should be the extent of it. I don't think the Ryan Suter thing was bad at all. I think Suter was trying to come back to the front of the net and Reeves was going behind the net to track the puck and they just collided. And you know, the bigger body wins in that case. And Suter went down and Reeves just went on his way. I don't even think he saw him coming. So I'm not sticking up for Reeves. I would bash him if I could, but I don't think he deserves a suspension. I think it's a terrible call. I think Peros kind of dug himself a hole with the Wilson thing. And now everybody's going to compare it to that. And yes, 
people aren't going to stick up for Ryan Reeves because of the type of player he is, and he's not going to make much of a difference, like you said. But if that's a really high-skilled player who makes that play, if that's uh, a Mark Stone or a Peter Angelo or something, do you think he gets suspended? The answer is absolutely not. I think Peros just saw it was Reeves, and he's like, okay, this is an easy suspension. Get him out of the game, kind of get my reputation back where players, they can make maybe be nervous they're going to get suspended again because it's just, it's a, it honestly is a joke. The players don't know what is going to happen from any different play. It, it honestly is a joke. So uh, I don't know. Uh, you can bang, like you could have the same play play out three consecutive games and you have three consecutive different kind of results. It doesn't make sense to me. This is not even near the same caliber as Wilson and he gets, you know, a harsher sentence than what Wilson got. I, I, I don't know. I don't want to talk about any, it just doesn't make sense. Do the players have any recourse when it comes to that stuff? Like, can they talk about the inconsistency when it comes to the CBA or when they, when they're talking in the off season, or is it just something that can't be addressed? Well, you talk about it within the players and you bring your, you know, negative, you bring it to the league and you go, Hey, like the players aren't happy in the league. Okay. We'll address it. We'll talk to, you know, the player safety guy and we'll try to be better next year. But like, there's no recourse. You don't sit down with the NHL and talk about it. You bring your, your grievances to Don fair. And then he brings them to Gary Bettman and that's it. Like there's a few players who talk to Bettman directly, but nothing happens. Like there's nothing happened. The league controls everything. The players have no say in any of it. So I don't know. Anyways, the reason he did that was because Vegas got absolutely shellacked in game one. Like I'm talking taken out behind the woodshed, pull your pants down. I'm going to spank you in front of everybody. I guess you wouldn't be behind the woodshed if you were doing that, but it was an absolute beat down. Vegas could not answer any of the questions. Colorado was throwing at them. Colorado. It was just a complete domination from top to bottom. The one thing that everybody was scratching your head with is Robin Lanner got the start. How surprised were you when you saw he was getting ushered out as a starting goaltender for game one? I, I was thunderstruck when I saw that news. It didn't make any sense to me. And the reasoning behind it didn't really, unless, I mean, you know, maybe the uh, board knew something that he didn't release about Flurry having that workload, but it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, you, it's not like they were traveling a ton during the first round. Vegas to, to Minnesota is not that far of a flight. You're playing at home for game seven. You win. You, you're rested. You have the next day to rest, and you're playing again. Like, it's a normal routine. He did it throughout the season. I, I, I don't understand it. Maybe he was trying to get Laner in a game, make him feel better. Maybe he, he thought he was rested. I don't know how they matched up versus Colorado during the season. Maybe Laner was the better goalie versus that team. I, I don't know. I didn't do my research on it. We can look into that. But what an epic fail. DeBoer looks like what a terrible call that was. Like if they lose this series in seven, that's going to be the reason why. He will be blamed for this because that was it's a very risky move to switch your goaltender for game one when you already have a goaltender who's been playing really, really well on Marc-Andre Fleury. So I don't know. Hmm? On the same day that Fleury was nominated for the Vezina. Right. Like it, it's, it's a head scratcher. And I've said it before. They have a one and one a, they have two great goaltenders, but you can't throw Robin Lanner into that position where he hasn't played all playoffs. He hasn't played in two weeks in a meaningful game. They have not been practicing during the playoffs because they play so often every other day. It's not like they're having regular practices. So it's not like he's getting his regular routine. And you throw him in game one versus a Colorado team who's super rested because they had just swept the St. Louis Blues. And they've been watching you battle for the last week. And they're just like raring to go. And they come out all guns firing. They're super rested. And it's just like an onslaught. And you don't even take him out because you want to rest flurry for game two. Poor Robin Lehner just got thrown to the wolves and he could not like, I, I don't blame him for being upset, but boy, oh boy, what a bonehead decision by Pete DeBoer, but a, a bonehead decision. They're playing tonight. Do they have any chance to him? What, what do you think? Is this a throwaway game? They just got overwhelmed. Their big emotional win in game seven. What do you think they'll bounce back? I think they will. I mean, I think they're too talented not to as good as Colorado is Vegas is right up there with them. And I think, there's no way they're not playing tonight. They play tomorrow. There's no way that um, Flurry lets in as many goals as Laner did. Not even close. You know, a bad game for him is if he lets in like three goals, and that's and that's on the high side. So, yeah, I think they come back. I don't know if they 
make much of a series out of it. I think they're out in five, maybe six. But I, like you said, if it does go seven, you really got to go back to game one and realize what a stupid decision that was by DeBoer. Yeah, I hope they come back. They have a good team. I think Colorado inevitably wins the series. They're a deeper team with higher-end talent. They they really do have top to bottom, just a really dangerous team. And Cal McCarr, oof. He looked good in game one. He he looks so really good. good. So if he continues to play at that level, the, uh, you, you can't do anything about it. You really can't. It'll be interesting to see how they match up. Like, who, who's going to come out of the East? I don't know. I think Tampa Bay has set themselves apart. They're playing game two right now. They're up on Carolina. Does anybody care about this series? In all honesty. I don't. I don't either. Like, if I'm going to rate the, the, the four series that are going on, it's like A, A, A. This one's like a C. I could care less. I know they're good teams. One of them's going to be in the final four. I, I really don't care. It's going to be Tampa Bay. Everyone knew it from the start of the season when they made up the little divisions. They're like, Tampa Bay. That's a no-brainer. Tampa Bay. Moving on next. So, I don't care about Tampa Bay. The Islanders-Bruins. Islanders come back and win in an overtime. Tie it up to one-to-one. What did you think of that game? Do you still think the Bruins have the advantage? Just get your take on the series after two games. I do, and I think they actually showed themselves to be the better team uh, for most of that game, especially when they, they came back in the third period down two goals. Um, it's interesting, though, to me that in the press conference, I don't know if you saw this, but Cassidy, Bruce Cassidy, the Bruins coach, kind of threw Rask, not under the bus, but he put him on the hot seat. Hot plate? What's, what is that hot term seat. that I keep? The hot seat. Hot yeah, seat. Yeah. yeah um, the hot spot. And, yeah, so he basically, like, said, like, oh, yeah, their goal, we made one more save than ours. And, and I, you know, it was a breakaway that came from a bonehead turnover by the young defenseman, Lausanne, that, yeah, maybe you like to see Raft make that play, but he was hard of the problem in that game. I think it was more of a challenge to him to step up, um, especially because he probably recognizes that he's obviously the best goalie in this series, and the Islanders have played two goalies in two games now. So I think this is an opportunity like for the goaltending to be the story of this series if Rask can play the, his best and they can take advantage of the Islanders' goalies. Um, and, I, you know, just a, one bad turnover is really hard to swallow when I thought they were going to complete that turnaround. Uh, the goals that they scored, Marshawn tied it late in the third with, the, with that power play goal. We were watching that game. I still think the Bruins are the better team. I still think they locked this down in, in two or three more games, uh, or I guess three or four, I should say and play whoever, you know, comes out of that other series, which is going to be Tampa. Yeah, I thought that was a nice thing Cassidy did. He's he's not going after Rask. He's protecting his D-man. He's got a young defenseman who's very fragile. He made a really bad turnover to cost him the game. And he knows the media is going to be all over him. So what does he do? He takes that attention and just puts it right on Rask. I'm sure he had a conversation with Rask. He's like, listen, you know, don't worry about it. I'm going to mention you. It's fine. You're my guy. I believe in you. I'm going to protect this kid. Because I doubt Lausanne wants this type of attention after turning the game over and costing him game two. So I don't mind that move. You know, it, it's a smart move. Everyone's everyone's talking about Rask now. Is there is there an issue there? You know, what's happening with their goaltender? Blah blah blah. The kid's fine now. He's going to move on. Lausanne's going to play great in game three. It's a good it's a good move by Cassidy. I, I really like that. But I think the Islanders still win this series. I think it comes down to depth. We talked about it before the series even started. The only thing that is happening right now, which makes me think the Bruins are going to win, their first line is absolutely dominant. We talked about it earlier in the show when we were talking about the Leafs, so their first line is just faltering and not able to put the puck in the net. The Boston Bruins' first line is the best line in hockey. They proved it in the regular season. They proved it last year. They are so incredibly good. They are so dangerous. What's the, When they have Charlie McAvoy on the ice with them, they have four forwards on the ice. They're interchangeable. You see, you see Charlie McAvoy behind the net. He's in the corner of the offensive zone. He's cycling it, and Pasternak's out at the point. We watched a whole period of them just do that. And what struck me the most is Pasternak played more time on the point than Charlie McAvoy did. It was really incredible. And as a player, and you're defending that, there's nothing you can do. When you're a defenseman and you're being pulled out to the blue line because your forward is out there, you almost get caught in no man's land where you you don't want to go cover the forward, but you can't stay in front of the net. And so you just create this 
empty space out by the blue line and in front of the net. And you're just kind of hovering at the top of the circle and you don't know what to do. And the same goes for the D man who's in the corner. Now his forward, he's like, do I go all the way down here and cover him? Like, I, I don't know what to do. So the forward kind of stays in the, in the middle and he doesn't want to go and commit himself to the corner. It just, there's, it creates so much unknown for the players playing defense. And it's so hard to defend. That's why you can see the Bruins. They go high to low. They go side to side. They rim the puck around. They create so much confusion. And the the Islanders don't know what to do. You saw that in the Bergeron goal where they went high to low, side to side, and Bergeron's all of a sudden open in the slot because no one knew who to take. The D-men's playing out by the point. All the forwards are below the goal line. It was just a complete chaos. And they do that so incredibly well. And it makes me nervous if I'm an Islanders player because these guys – they're really, really good, and they can win a game. They can score three, four goals in a game. We've seen it time in and time out. So I'm sure Barry Trotz is going to go back, watch some tape. He has a couple days off right now. They'll figure it out because he's a great coach. He's done it before, but, boy, they have failed that test for the first two games. The Bruins' first line looks very, very dangerous. Second line, not so dangerous. Craig Smith obviously didn't play game two. They need some secondary scoring, but – Maybe they don't need it with the first game, first line. They're just crushing it like it is. But I, I still think the Islanders will win in five, maybe in six. That's my prediction. Call me crazy. Call me crazy, Tim. I think it's the opposite, but I'm a little biased. You are a little biased. But anyways, it'll be exciting. We got games tomorrow night. The Canadians and Jets open up. <laughs> what if the Canadians and Jets, we talked about this last night, go to seven games and all the other series are done? And they're just waiting around for the Canadians to finish up their series. This stinking COVID in Vancouver. They ruined everything. Honestly, they ruined everything. Push yeah, back gonna be, by a week. There's going to be a week off. And who does that benefit? Is, is that too much time? Is that too much rest? Does it, does it kind of shake off your groove? Yeah, I don't know. I think these guys are used to getting breaks now during the season. They've, they've had these huge breaks once or twice or three times during the season. So it's become the norm. I think it, it's a benefit to get the rest at this time of the year, especially with the amount of games that they play during the regular season. They got to be feeling it. They got to be tired. They got to be sore. So getting any kind of rest is a bonus. Definitely. I'll take rest over playing games any day of the week, especially at this time of the year. But anyways, Tim, very exciting. Got some games tonight. We'll touch on them tomorrow. We'll get back to you. Obviously, Memorial Day, kind of hiccup our schedule again. But we'll get back to it. Dropping the gloves. We'll, we'll figure it out one day, Tim. I'm sure we will. Working on it. But anyways, everybody, I hope you had a good weekend. It's good to be back. We'll talk to you guys this week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 